You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Hey, you know, it's my pleasure to be here, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, excited to have you on. And uh, before we dive into what you're doing now, take me back to the original vision you had for your life. It sounds like you originally thought of yourself as an athlete and we're looking forward to that as a potential career path, I'm assuming. Tell me a little bit about like middle school, like junior high Spencer, like what was on the horizon for you? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned I was an athlete, primarily basketball, but in middle school, I was playing all types of sports. You know, I, I really use athletics as kind of an escape from my home life. My, my younger brother is severely autistic and I, I didn't realize I was doing this at the time consciously, but subconsciously I was just trying to get out of the house. I just wanted to get out of the situation. So I was just diving into all these different activities. And then as I got older and I kind of focused in on basketball and that, that became my whole life. I mean, I would wake up before high school, it's high school started at eight. I would get to the school at 6am and I would work out for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. I'd take a shower I'd get, you know, change and then I'd go to class. I mean, that was literally my, my, my life, you know, up until uh, I shattered my ankle and, and ultimately like shattering my ankle. And, and, you know, I came down from a dunk, landed on someone's foot, broke my ankle in six places, dislocated it. Bone came out of the skin. I, mean, I have pictures. It's pretty gross, but, <laughs> but uh, ultimately that not only shattered my ankle physically, but it shattered my identity because I had built up this whole identity around being this, you know, successful basketball player. And, you know, going to the NBA and doing this stuff. And, and when you break your ankle severely and you can't play for eight months, right before you go into the biggest recruiting season of, you know, your life when you're in high school, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> so right. I'm curious here because this is a moment that's kind of defining and it's, it's a, it's a fairly common story, not to the extreme, you know, extreme level of which it happened to you, but it's a common story of, you know, a young guy has a dream of being an NBA player or NFL player or NHL player, but film the sport there. And then they have an injury. And one of two things happens at this point in their life. Either they're going to fast forward, they're 40 years old and they're sitting in a recliner going, man, if I hadn't got injured in high school, I would be crushing it right now. You know, I haven't done anything with my life at all since then, but man, if I would have got not got injured, I was so good. I was MVP every year. Like I would have killed it. And then you have the people who radically change path and start pursuing something else and put that energy somewhere else. I think it's clear if you see on the show, which path you took, but I'm curious as you share that, like what kept you from just falling into like, okay, well, my life is over essentially. Well, let's be very clear. Looking back, I was not good enough to go to the NBA. I definitely could have played college, but I don't, I don't want to be that guy. Either. That's also a comment of people with dreams of going to the NBA. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so. I want to be very clear, be very clear about that. But you know, to answer your question directly, what I realized in that time, and it was a, it was a very dark time because mm. again, your whole identity is something and that gets taken yeah. away from you. And now not only am I stuck at home, you know, I, I can't play the sport that I love, but then, like I mentioned, I was using this as an escape to get away from all the problems at home. And now I'm stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 
And what I realized was actually driving me as much as I loved basketball. It was, it was, it was, again, what was driving me was the stuff that was going on at home. And I realized what I wanted was success. Yeah. Right. And I, I realized that the path that no longer for me was going to be athletics or basketball or like that. It wasn't that I couldn't enjoy those things once I got healthy again, because I did, I ended up going back and playing, but it was that I wanted to experience success and that's what I dreamed right. of. And I think it really kind of came together when I was um, recovering from this ankle injury. My mom would come in and she would keep, you know, keep me company and talk to me. And, you know, one time she came in and she, you know, we was rented growing up. She told me her dream was to own a home. She mm-hmm. always wanted to buy and own a home, but she was like, you know, we're never going to be able to because your dad and the way he works and da 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 da. Right. And, you know, I grew up in Southern California, so it's expensive out here. What, what part? Um, uh, Orange County. South okay. Orange County. I grew up in Beaumont, California, like near Palm Springs, oh. Riverside area. So I was curious. You know, long story short, something clicked in me at that moment. I don't know what it was, but I, I had this realization. And I think it was just I was looking for meaning at that point where I was like, you know, if I get into real estate and I at least learn real estate at the bare minimum, I can connect her with someone that can maybe help her get a house or maybe I can even make some money and, you know, help them buy a house myself. And that kind of became my mission at that point when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, a broken ankle. Cause I was like, I got nothing else to look forward to. So. Right. Well, pouring yourself into this kind of study at 15, like, I mean, 15 is a very frustrating time. At least it was for me. Like you start getting this, like you said, you're, you're pursuing what your identity is. So you're in this weird stage of like, you don't have as much freedom as an adult does to make a choice, which is probably good at 15, but also you have these very strong passions that are moving you forward. Like you're going, it's, it's the age where you start going like, man, at some point I can do this, or I can go into business when I turn 18 and do this, or I can go to college here and do this. You know, while you were studying real estate, did you have any chance to put what you were learning to the test? Did you get to practice out some of that? Or was it just five years or, or three years, sorry, of, of just going, you know, man, this is going to be so cool. Once I get to a point, I can do something. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point, I've, I, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are always uh, people that like to take, typically take action very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I'm definitely someone that does that. Although I will say, I think I tend more, more so than most entrepreneurs to want to learn more first. Mm-hmm. But to your question there, yeah, absolutely. You know, I started uh, in real estate, there's a strategy called bird dogging, which is basically you're just finding deals for investors. And I started doing that, you know, once I got healthy at 17, 17 wow. years old. And I would, you know, I, I literally started door, I would go door knock on foreclosures at, at 17. And like, it was terrifying. <laughs> okay. Like I'm a 17 year old, tall, skinny guy with like really bad acne on my face. And I'm knocking on a, you know, a grown man's door who's 50 and I'm at, who's being foreclosed on. And I'm the worst time of his home. life. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, it was awful. And then after I got done with that, I said, you know, it's going to be even better than that. I'm going to do cold calls to mm. people that are in probate. And probate is basically, if you're not familiar it's when uh, somebody passes away and you inherit their stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like this horrible court process you have to go through if they don't have a will. Um, and so now I'm calling people where like their closest relative just died and they're inheriting a house that they can't afford. And I'm offering to buy that house. Okay. Right. So yeah. I picked like the two hardest things to start with. And uh, I, I honestly, it was awful. <laughs> it yeah. was completely awful. But, but I learned a lot and I started making a little bit of money. You know, yeah. and when you're in high school and you're making four grand a month, five grand a month, like that's like you're the richest person on planet Earth. Right. Well, what is that balance there? And obviously I'm sure you've gotten more tactful than I, I can't imagine the pitch at 17. I'm sure that was a little bit sloppy at times uh, going into some of these situations, but looking back in retrospect and, and looking at where you're at now, where do you think that line is between learning 
versus taking imperfect action. You mentioned you take a little bit longer than some entrepreneurs, and there's some that, you know, they excuse a lack of preparation by saying, I just take action, imperfect action. And then there's others that, you know, never do anything because they're trying to read every book they can before they do it. And then they get to 50 years old and, you know, they've never taken that action. So how much knowledge do you think you need to get started in a venture? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, because I, I originally was on the side of take of reading and learning too much. And, and even now, I mean, I'm obsessed with learning. And one of the things that I've learned, kind of ironic, but one of the things I've learned is um, you know, you're never going to have all the answers, obviously. It's impossible for you to learn things. It's impossible for you to learn certain things until you've actually done them. Because there is no book, there is no course that will teach you. It's just that information does not exist. And even in the age of information that we're in, where you can type things with Google, you're just not going to have even all the questions to, to ask, let alone all the yep. answers. Yeah. So I think that the best question you can ask yourself is, well, given the information I currently have, what could I produce right now if I had no additional information? Mm -hmm. And there may be a time where you say nothing, I need more information, right? And if that's the case, then you need more information. But as long as you can be honest with answering that question and saying, well, at this point, I could, you know, at least generate some leads. And even if it's just one step, I'm not going to make any money, but I'm going to go get some leads or I'm going to go download a list or whatever it is. Take some action because ultimately life is not school. You're not graded on what you know, you're graded on what you do, Mm. you know? But, you know, when you take a test, you have to know the answers, right? <laughs> right. And so yeah. the beautiful thing about life is that you're constantly in this mode of taking a test, but it's an open, it's, it's an open book test. So you can mm-hmm. go and, and you can go and have a question pop up that maybe you don't know the answer to, find the answer and then come back and get the right answer. Well, that was, that was one of the craziest perspective shifts that I'd ever heard. Because obviously entrepreneurs talk all the time and, and usually it's because we didn't go to college. So we like to bag on college a little bit, but specifically speaking to the education system, uh, it was, I think it was Dean Graziosi was talking about it. And he said that kind of what you just said, he's like in school, if you are opening your page, you don't know how to do a problem and you ask another kid to do it for you or to help you with it, that's cheating. But anywhere outside of the school system, you're the dumbest person in the world. If you don't ask somebody to help you or do the problem for you. So who were some of the first people for you that you started going to and saying, Hey, I'm reading this. I'm going out and taking imperfect action. I'm doing things where, you know, I feel like I'm know this much about it. Uh, who are some of the first people you met with that kind of guided you and gave you a little bit of that know-how and told you those questions you didn't know to ask? The, the biggest thing I did early on, I was always a believer. And I don't know if I ever consciously knew this when I first started, but I was always a believer in trying to be around people that were more successful than I was. And when you're starting out, it's pretty damn easy because everyone's more successful than you. Right. Okay. And so at that time, like when I, when I first started getting into real estate and I got healthy again and I got my license and all that, I I started going to, to real estate. I would literally just Google real estate meetups and I would just go around, you know, Irvine, you know, Orange County, if you know the area, Orange County, and Mm -hmm. just attend these, I'd pay 20 bucks and just sit in there and you know, and, and at that time, again, I was this little high school kid that was like very self-conscious, didn't have very much confidence. And I would just sit in there and I would just be around people. In fact, the very first person I ever met, the first real estate meetup I ever went to, I go there and there's this guy, the speaker, Jack Fulton, that's going to come and speak. And I don't know who Jack, you know, I don't know anybody. Okay. I don't know who Jack Fulton is, but he's like, this guy everyone's ranting and raving about. And I get there two hours early and I'm sitting in the audience and there's probably uh, 70 people there. I mean, there's not a small group. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm sitting there and like, I'm just like, it's like, um, I don't even want to exist. Like I'm sitting there and I'm like, so scared to talk to anybody. Okay. That like, I don't want, I want to pretend like nobody sees me. Okay. Hmm. And I'm on my phone and sitting there for an hour and a half. Didn't say hello to anybody. Okay. Literally. And people are coming in and I'm intimidated. These guys are all 40. I'm 17. You know, what, what the hell do I know? Right. 
And then finally, what ends up happening is the guy hosting the meeting goes up and he says, hey, Jack is going to be here in a few minutes. He's going to start. So if you need to use the restroom or get a snack or something, go do it now. And so I get up and I, and I, I, like, I felt bad about myself because I'm like, I need to introduce myself to somebody. I'm like, so let me go to the restroom. I'm going to use the restroom. And then when I come out, I'm going to introduce myself to somebody. Like I'm going I'm to figure it out, right? So I go to the restroom, I use the restroom and I start washing my hands. And this was at a hotel, right? This, this event was at a hotel. So this guy comes up next to me, the sink next to me, and he's, he's wearing like cargo shorts and like Crocs, right? I'm like, who the hell is this guy, right? And, and I'm just like, I got to talk to somebody. Let me just say hi to this guy. I can get in the momentum of talking. So I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He's like, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, I'm here for that real estate meetup. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm here for that too. You know, we start talking and he's like, oh, do you know about the speaker, Jack? No, I'm like, listen, dude, I'm in high school. I'm just trying to learn. I kind of gave him like a little short version of my story. He's like, oh, that's really cool, man. He's like, I started in high school too. He's like, nice to meet you. My name is Jack Fullerton. I'm like, it was him. Mm-hmm. And I was, and he gave up when it goes on stage or goes in front of the room, there's no stage and gives a, a two hour presentation in Crocs, which was the craziest thing I've ever seen and gets a standing <laughs> ovation. Okay. Right. But after the meetup, he told me to come. He's like, dude, I want to talk to you. He told me to come and talk to him after the meeting and, you know, gave me his phone number and just started teaching me stuff. And mm-hmm. like 90% of the stuff, I had no idea what he was talking about. But uh, I, I mean, really, it was just putting yourself out there. I mean, and being willing to be embarrassed and, and not fit in, yeah. you know, being okay with that. And it's hard. Yeah. It, it's such a huge networking lesson because I think so many people have this negative idea around asking, you know, as if like, if someone says, no, you're in a worse position than you already were, which isn't the case. You're just literally exactly where you started. But I've realized more and more through this show, through our business, like, there's so many people wanting to give information out freely. And I don't understand, I mean, why that exists in us, but like when we learn something, we want to teach somebody and you're never going to know who those people are if you don't start asking and making those introductions. And, you know, you might, you might strike out sometimes asking a guy in Crocs, uh, they might not always have the answers, but sometimes you get lucky. Um, and I think that's a huge, that's a huge lesson for sure. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent 
fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, David Church. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in David Church. I don't know who David Church is. You mentioned him in your bio, but the reason I'm interested in David Church is because you said he taught you a secret way to make money. And I love secrets. So I want to get to the secret. Yeah. So David, uh, another real estate meetup I went to, and, and he was funny because at that point, this was maybe a year after the first one I had started going to. So now in my senior year of high school, a couple of years mm-hmm. have gone by since my ankle. I'm, I'm much more into real estate at this point. But um, he had a real estate meetup that, that he was hosting, really small group, 10, 20 people at the most. But on the meetup page, it said, don't come unless you can provide value. And I'm thinking, I'm 17 years old. I don't, I don't have any value to provide, right. right? But I want to go. So I'm like, let me shoot this guy an email and ask permission. So I shoot him an email and I like, but I still have the email. It's so fine. It's like, dear Mr. Church, I would like to attend your meetup. I'm 17. I do not have any value. Can I come? Right. And, you know, a little, little, you know, surprise to me, he responded back a couple hours later. I said, dude, I'd love to have you come down. So I came down, you know, it was an interesting meeting. And, to your point of what you just said, he was somebody that really, I think part of it is like when you meet these successful people, like they want to help younger people, yeah. you know, because they remember when they were in that spot. And so trying to they, find someone, yeah, trying to find someone. And so he really kind of, I don't know, I guess took a liking to me. And, and, um, you know, he at that point was doing a lot of fix and flip real estate. So I started doing construction mm-hmm. for him. And I would go to, you know, on the weekends, I would go, you pay me, you know, 100 bucks in cash for a couple hours and I would tear out a kitchen or something, you know. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, I kind of went my own way, but we always kept in touch. And over the years, I had accumulated this, this notebook. I had this notebook, 70 pages front to back over three, four years. I filled it up every single real estate investing strategy on the planet that I could find on the internet. Okay. Every single one. And, you know, at this point, I'm now 19 years old. I got my real estate license. I'm doing wholesaling. I'm, I'm making some money. I'm not, you know, rich, but I'm doing well for, especially for a 19 year old. And um, I go to one of David's events. I hadn't been there in a while. And this guy goes on stage and he starts talking about, and not David, but a different guy goes on stage and starts talking about how you can make money by giving money away after a foreclosure. Because essentially, sometimes when a house goes to foreclosure, the, the buyer pays more than what was owed on the home. And that extra amount has to go back to the person that was foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. But the bank, they're, they're not going to find, you know, they're not going to spend the time to find somebody. So if you go in and you can give them back their money, you can collect a, a finder's fee. And these finders mm. can be like 50 grand. Like they can be like wow. a lot of money. And, uh, and I literally thought this guy was making it up because I'm like, I got the notebook, dude. It's not in here. <laughs> like I know everything about real estate. It's not in here. So I'm asking all these questions and, and he's got a, you know, a witty response for all of them. I'm starting to not like this guy. I'm like, man, you know, screw this guy. This guy's making me look stupid, you know? So after the, after the meeting, I go up to David and I'm like, why would you have this guy's a scam artist? Like, this is not real. Why would you have this, this guy here? And David's like, no, dude, like I do this. This is real. And I was like, whoa. And he taught me how to do it. The next thing you know, I mean, instead of calling people that, you know, are in probate and their grandma just died and they inherited a house or, you know, they got foreclosed on. Now I'm calling people and I'm telling them, hey, you're owed money. You want some free money. And <laughs> that it's a way easier, a little bit better. <laughs> way yeah. easier conversation now. Well, and I started you, making money doing this. Yeah, what's do that? you get a lot of, um, do you get a lot of people making those calls that hang up or don't believe you or think you're scamming them? Yeah, you definitely do. But that's where just, you know, to your point of being now years into business, you know, almost a decade, it's like, you know, you, you get the pitch down and then everything else takes care of itself. Sure. And sure. What, what we realized too, was there's one in 10 people in America's owed money, you know, because wow. what, what, what you realize and what I realized eventually was the making a long story short, 
the foreclosures was just one way that someone can be owed money. And there's like thousands of different ways someone's mm. owed money. And there's all oh, right now about a hundred billion dollars that's just floating around that's owed to people. <laughs> you know. So um, kind of transitioning into the practical side, because obviously this is something that you're doing now. Um, yeah. you have surplus surplusfunds.com. Like this has become a pretty cool way to make money, obviously. And I love stuff like this because uh, I was talking with someone earlier today and they were talking about totally different subject, but they were saying the same thing. They're like, there's this way to make money that is so good that when I tell someone they go, that can't be legit, right? That's got to be illegal. <laughs> you know. And I love, I love things like that, that, that sound too good to be true. Um, so getting into the practical side, tell me a little bit about what this functionally looks like. So you're saying, okay, there's this much money floating around. There's people that are, you know, you can call them their own money. You get a finder's fee, it could be 50 grand. That all sounds great. But what's the starting point of that? Because people listening are probably doing what you did. That can't be legit. It's not in my notebook. That can't be real. How do we do this? Yeah. So that's a great question. Yeah. You know, the, the, the first thing is uh, we built out our, what we call kind of our, our three-step, and I know everyone's got a three-step process nowadays, but we have a really simple three-step process that we created. We call it find, connect, collect. And that's literally what the entire thing comes down to. Because at the end of the day, all you're doing is you're trying to find people that are owed money, connect with them and tell them that they're owed money, right? Get them to say yes to working with you and then collect their money and collect a finder's fee. I mean, that's literally it. <laughs> and so once you understand that and you understand the scope of the opportunity, then it comes down to, okay, well, if you want to do this and, and you're not sure where to start, well, the first step is to find people that are money. And right now, I challenge all everyone listening to this right now, you know, wherever you're living, if you're living in the United States, and, and if you're not, your country probably has the same thing because most Western countries do. If you go to your, let's say you're living in the US, you, you search your state name. So for me, I live in California, California, followed by the phrase unclaimed property. It'll mm-hmm. take you to a government website where you can search yourself and all your relatives and see if you're out any money. And I'll tell you straight up, my grandma was at seven grand from the 1960s. Okay. So you'd be surprised at what you can find. And by the way, even if you're personally or your family's not owed money, if you have relatives that passed away, you can reclaim their money too. Hmm. Right? So, I mean, I, I would just say, start with that. I mean, don't believe me. You, listen, you should not listen to any guy on the internet yelling you, yelling at you about making money. You should do your own research. Okay. And what I was that website again for people listening? Yep. You want to Google your state name or your country, if you're living in a different country, followed by the phrase unclaimed property. Gotcha. And each each state and country, and you know, you're living in Canada, each province, right? They have different websites for each each area. Gotcha. Yeah. So so once you're locating them, going through the collection process for your company specifically, is that something that you're helping train people how to do? Is it something where you're the go-to solution if someone feels like they're owed money? What part of the process are you stepping in? If someone were to work with you, are they walking away with the know-how to do this moving forward, or is it something where you know? It's a finder's fee of a finder's fee to help them uh, through the process. Yeah. So what we do is we help people start and grow their very own surplus fund income from home. So mm-hmm. we've got about 4,000 students now, our top students making between four and $5 million a year recovering money for people. But we have a lot of students, depending on their situation, they come in and they just want to make an extra five grand a month. Or we have some yeah. people want to make an extra hundred grand a month. And so we help people, depending on what their goals are, build out. And, and imp, not really build out, but implement our find, connect, collect system into whatever they're doing to get to where they want to get to. And so, you know, for somebody that wants to scale up, maybe it looks like, hey, we're going to hire some VAs to, to contact the people on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to build out a system to where you're, you're automatically collecting thousands because there's millions of people that have money, right? Thousands of leads every single week that you're calling. 
And we're going to build out a system that collects all the money for you. And you're just a business owner, right? That's our, our higher level students. And then there's some people that they don't mind making the calls themselves because ultimately you're giving people good news. You're telling them they're owed $10,000. Like the reactions yeah. you get are pretty it's amazing. It's probably people addicted to that more than anything else. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, some of, we, we get some of the coolest calls and coolest emails from um, our clients' clients where it's like, hey, you know, I, I, I just got out of a foreclosure and, and, you know, such and such John Smith, you know, helped me get 50 grand that I, I can use to get back on my feet. Like that, that's amazing. First time yeah. you experience that, it's, it's life-changing. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but we, we have a whole education system built to help take you. And we have a software tool that gives you leads. We've got everything built out to basically get you from zero to wherever you want to get to with making money by giving money away. Yeah, no, that definitely answered that. That's, that's amazing. I am curious as far as time commitment, because obviously anything, when you hear government, you go, this is going to take forever, you know, like we're going to be stuck in this forever. And you've got people making, you know, you said your highest students making four to $5 million a year, which again, people listening go, okay, sure. Let's see for ourselves with something like that. Is that someone that's working 80 hours a week and they are ripping their hair out and they're, you know, like, is that a crazy time commitment? Is it something where, you know, they're, that person's outsourcing most of that. Like how much time is the average student spending, you know, yeah. making calls, working through one of these individual cases? Yeah. And let, let's be very clear. The, the guy making four to five million, he's running an entire company doing this at this point, yeah. right? It's definitely not just- Right. Him. No, he's yeah. he's grown it to that right. point for sure. Yeah. So if, if that was your goal, I mean, it, it, I think it comes down to your goal, right? Yeah. So if your goal is to make an extra 10K a month, I mean, we've got people that are retired and they work, you know, 10 hours a week and they're making 10K a month, right? Yeah. Because ultimately a lot of the, the, in reference to the government that you're talking about, that's not stuff that you're involved in, right? It's, mm. you, get the, the, you get the paperwork signed and there's really three simple pieces of paperwork that you have clients sign. It's really simple and straightforward. Then you submit it to the local government and they, they process it. You're not really involved in that process. You're just getting a check, right? Yeah. So really the, the bulk of, of someone's time if they're doing this on their own is in getting the leads and getting the right contact information for those leads and in actually contacting and marketing to those people. Hmm. But again, depending on your goals and depending on how you build things, you, know, you could spend as little as five hours a week or you could work 80 hours a week and make you know as much money as you want to make, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's super, super cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, tell me a little bit, like, just on the on the back end of this, because I am curious on the on the average person going into it, how much knowledge is needed beyond you know what you're teaching in the class? Like, is it people that should have a basic understanding of contracts, of real estate, of foreclosures in general, um, or is that something that anybody at any point could jump into? Yeah, and and uh, that's a great question. You absolutely do not need any background information. I know a lot of people say that. I mean, we've literally taken people driving Uber. We had a client, Charles, at the beginning of last year. He came in, he was driving Uber full-time, joined our program, and his first month made 40 grand. <laughs> okay. No real estate experience. So no... he's just pissed he drove Uber that long. <laughs> he's just, he's exactly, he's bad. So, right. uh, and again, I want to be clear, you know, these are these are exceptional cases I'm giving right. you, right? But the, the, the reality is like, the whole point of our education system is to make sure you have all the information that you need, right? Gotcha. And not too much information because we don't want what happened to me, right? And what happens to some people where they get paralyzed because they have too much information. So yeah. we're giving you the exact amount of information that you need and the accountability to actually make sure that you get things done and that you're you know, going right. and growing to where you want to get to. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great. Well, I'm curious, uh, before I ask you the question, we ask everybody that comes on the show, I'm curious to know for you, is this the one and only thing that you're personally involved with as on the education side? Do you still 
mess with real estate? Is that still something that you're involved with as well? Like what's on the horizon for you? What are you currently working on? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I, uh, I love business. To me, business is like a sport, you know? And so I, I, one of my problems is, you know, I still got shiny object syndrome. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, every time a new opportunity comes, I, I get excited about it. And I've learned to, to say no to a lot of things, but I am involved in multiple things. So I'm involved in some, some crypto stuff. I'm very big into crypto, mm-hmm. as well as one thing that I'm, I want to engineer is like a, a, a new way to, es- you know, basically an escrow process for, for real estate through the blockchain, which is something that I'm working on and excited about. But uh, this is my primary focus. And we still do actually close deals as well. You know, we, we have a whole department of the company that we close deals. We'll close anywhere from 10 to 20 deals a month um, of our own. And then obviously we teach people and then, you know, I, I own a part of a hotel. So yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated that you just mentioned crypto because every real estate person I talk to dogs on crypto all day long. Like every real estate person I've ever talked to is like, I want something I can feel and touch and it can't go to zero and all this sort of stuff. And it may just, honestly, I think it may even just be a generational thing Um, because, but most people I talk to, like, I would say like 35 and up, it's a negative conversation surrounding crypto. What do you see about crypto specifically that excites you in the real estate space? And I know I lied. I said I was going to ask one question before going to the main question. I mean, listen, every taxi driver dogged on Uber. Mm. (laughs) So I, that answers the question. There you go. Yeah. I, I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity that everybody in the market doesn't want to take. I mean, like if you look at the real estate market, you look at almost every other industry has evolved exponentially more via the internet than the real estate. Mm-hmm. Like, what's changed in the last 20 years for the real estate? Yeah. Like Zillow, but like, has that really changed anything? No. I mean, you've got people that, like when I was getting my real estate license, I would go and before I got my license, I would just go around to all the open houses every weekend just to see how agents were doing. Nine out of 10 agents, I would walk in the door they wouldn't even greet me. They were just sitting in the side eating a yep. subway sandwich. Okay. Yeah. And they're making, you know, around here, 3% on a million dollars. They're making 30 grand, no. 50 grand, 60 grand. For what? And I'm not anti-real estate agent. I think there's going to be a case for real estate agents to exist with the blockchain. But the reality is uh, the real estate is overdue for some major changes. Mm-hmm. And there's a massive opportunity. And if you're ignoring that I, and you're in real estate, I don't know what, what else you're doing. I mean, no. so. absolutely. Well, I got to ask the question, you've hit on networking so much, uh, but you've also talked about education a ton. Uh, And the question we ask everybody that comes on the show is, do you believe who you know or what you know is more important and why? If you had to pick one. Hmm. I actually would say who you know, because you get what you know from who you know. You know, I think uh, like you can have all of the information, but you cannot have the right people around you. Mm -hmm. And um you can have the right people around you and you don't have all the information, but you can get the right information, yep. right? Like finding the right people is, when I say the right people, I don't mean like, oh, this is a successful guy. I mean like the right person to have in your life at that time. You know, mm-hmm. that's hard to do. Yeah. And it takes a lot of work. But once you have that right person, a lot of times they can help push you to get the right information or they already have the information, Yeah, you know? So I, I would I would absolutely say who you know. I, and I love that you gave that specific version of that answer. Obviously, Build Your Network, we're always biased to who you know. And we've seen that to be true within our own lives and business. But we always get a variety of answers. We always get the, you know, well, without what you know, you can't be the right who. My question is always, who taught you that? <laughs> who taught you what you know? So it always comes from somebody. Uh, but I, I am curious to follow up on what you just said. You you hit on something that it, 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 I've noticed as a pain point in my own life. And you said it's not just the right person. Like you're not going to find the one guru that's going to lead you through all of your life. You mm-hmm. said the right person at that time. 
how do you balance having sincere, authentic relationships with people that may have an expiration date as you level up and start connecting with other people who can get you to the next level? Like you said in the beginning, any real estate agent is going to be able to teach you about real estate, but you might be working with a six-figure real estate agent and want to move to seven-figure real estate. You can't stay with that agent the whole way through. How do you keep a relationship authentic? How do you close that chapter in good terms and continue to grow and ex, you know, exponentially increase your relationships as much as your own net worth and your own knowledge? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I mean, I think it, it's like the, not, not to use a dating analogy, but it's the same thing with dating. You know, right. like if you're very transparent and clear from the start and you say, look, this is what I'm looking for. And they provide that to you. then that's great. And then eventually, as you're growing and changing, things change. Hey, I'm not really looking for this anymore. Maybe, you know, while you're younger, you're not looking for anything serious. And then, you know, you hit 30 and you're like, you know, I do want something a little more serious. Well, that mm-hmm. same person might still not be looking for something serious. Yep. And it's the same thing with, with business, you know, like the six-figure real estate agent. Yeah. Hey, they're, they're going to help get you to six figures. And then you have to sit down and say, listen, I, first of all, I, I don't think you can say there's an expiration date to the relationship. Just sure. The relationship sure. Is, not to the relationship, the business relationship. I should the say. business relationship is changing, right? Yeah. So that's where I would just say, Hey, look, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done for me. I've learned a ton from you. I still want to be friends with you. You know, if, if you were working for them hypothetically, like, Hey, I'm switching over to this other brokerage. I have an opportunity here. I want to start making seven figures. That's where I want to go. Um, what what loose ends do we need to tie up before I make this adjustment? And um, what can I do to, to provide value to you? And I think if you come from that standpoint of just, you know, you talked about making it authentic. If you're authentic, I think that's mm-hmm. ultimately the, the key. Now, before we wrap up, I actually do, I have one tactical tip that I want to give on networking, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. I, I appreciate your answer on that. I wanted to know. And I think that Ariana Grande, uh, thank you next approach is probably uh, pretty killer there. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely drop a tactical bomb on us and then we'll go into a random round. So I, a couple of years ago, I was on YouTube and I discovered this guy, uh, his name was Michael Francis and he's got a big yeah. YouTube channel, mafia guy. And at that time he was blowing up on YouTube. He was on, he was on you know, the Patrick, but David show and, and this show and that show. And, and I was like, this guy's interesting, right? You know, and I'm not in the mafia, but I'm like, I like, you know, it's interesting and I'm learning from him. So fast forward, he starts his own YouTube channel and I don't know why he just, he had a link in one of his descriptions, like book a call. And I'm like pretty against sales calls. Like just because I don't like to waste my time on sales calls if I don't need to. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to book a call. So I book a call. I get on there. And this guy who I'm good friends with now, his name's Kurt, pitches me on, uh, you know, joining like the private, you know, one-on-one thing with Michael. And it was like 7K. And there was no outcome that I was looking for. I literally just wanted to meet this person because I thought it was cool. Right. And so I paid him seven grand and I meet Michael. We get on a Zoom call the next day. We're having a great conversation. And we figure out that we actually live pretty close to each other. He lives in the city next to mine. He lives in Newport Beach. I live in Irvine, which mm. is right next to yeah. each other. So we became good friends. And you know, this is in 2020. We ended up meeting for, for dinner. We, you know, there was nothing I ever wanted from him. I just wanted to meet him. He just seemed like a cool guy. He kind of felt that way about me because you know, he told me, listen, you remind me of myself when I was young, trying to hustle and putting all these things together. And so again, we talked about earlier, people want to help you if you're, if you're pushing things forward. And for a while, he approached me two years ago. And he was like, Hey, I'd like to work on something together, but there was no, there's no opportunity for that. Right. So fast forward two years, we've stayed in contact. We're still friends. And a couple of months ago, he hits me up and says, Hey man, I want to build an NFT project. I don't know anything about NFTs. Will you be the guy behind it? Now that one NFT project, I mean, he's got a million person audience. If we launched that, you know, we could make three, four, $5 million. Right. And so I'm sharing this story to tell you that don't be afraid to pay to meet people. 
<laughs> like, right. I, I think a lot of people, they get scared with networking because they feel like they don't have value to provide. And the easiest way to overcome that, if you have some money, is just to give them money because mm-hmm. that's the most simple form of value you can provide to somebody. But also be confident in the value you do have. But I mean, I, I just think that's such an important lesson. It's like, don't be afraid. Like, I paid to meet this guy for no reason. I, mean, I just thought he was cool. And it could be a multi-million dollar, you know, business that we, we just built because I yeah. met this guy too. You know? So Yeah. No, it's, it's, we always call it fast pass, you know, it fast passes your ability to do things you never would have thought to be able to do, you know? And, and that's something, that's something I think is really cool as well. You know, I say the word fast pass, but also, you know, it's been a couple of years building relationship. And one, one of the reasons that, you know, if I had to guess one of the reasons that, you know, his relationship with you has been so strong is you didn't go into the relationship saying, oh my God, I just spent $7,000 and I'm desperate. I need to get some result out of this right now. Like if you had only gotten to meet him and say, oh, that was cool. I got to make a cool connection. And that would have been enough for you. That's what opens the door to something four years down the road. Because desperation affects everything we do. Like if we jump on a call and you can tell that I'm like, oh my God, I need to know how to do this. Like, tell me how to do the surplus thing. I'm going to like, you know, like that's not going to be the best way to go about it versus going at it for the long haul, especially in a relationship. And uh, I think that's a great story that kind of, kind of summarizes that. But but speaking of fast, we got five minutes left. I'm going to move us into our rapid round. We're going to hit some, uh, hit some quick questions, let people get to know you a little bit more. And then uh, we'll cut the episode here right at the end. First and foremost, what profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I want to be a welder for skyscrapers. Interesting. I can't relate, but um, but that's a great answer. Uh, If you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Uh, John Rockefeller, because he's the greatest entrepreneur of all time. And the whole world, as my light turns off, has him has him backwards. He he's painted as this horrible person, but he's really. If you read his book, read Titan. It's a biography about him, and he's a phenomenal guy. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Thomas Edison was sad you didn't pick him, and your light bulb went out. How do you like to learn best? Is it books, blogs, podcasts, or videos? What's your favorite way? Uh, I'd say audiobooks. 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 Yeah. Have you done the Alex Hermosi uh, read the book while you listen to the book? I have. I that's have. a that's a killer hack. Uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. I wake up at between 4.30 and 5. I do red light therapy every morning. I usually go for a walk, drink a green juice, and then you know get to work. Basically. What is red light therapy? There are certain wavelengths of light that have been proven to produce like extra collagen and produce extra, I believe it's ATP, and I could be wrong with that. I'm not. Dropped out of college, guys. Don't judge me. <laughs> ATP, which basically allows you to retain looking younger and it gives you more energy. What is your go-to pump up song? Started from the bottom by Drake. Gotcha. Good choice. Solid. Anything that's not Eminem, I'm always like extra credit because everyone always goes anything by Eminem. And then it's next question. What are you not very good at? A lot of things. My handwriting sucks. It's awful. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Still gets the job done with the contract though. So you're good. Yeah, exactly. Last question. What is one place online where people can connect with you the most? Yeah, I'd say follow me on Instagram uh, at Spencer J Van. That's Van with two N's, V A N N. I'm on there. We post a lot and uh, always interacting with people on there. So awesome. At Spencer J Van and head over to surplusfund.com to find out more about what Spencer's up to over there. Spencer, thanks so much for a great conversation, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to TravisChapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. 
Travis will see you there, and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.